You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the Weekly Web Foot Review. We're excited about the Vegas Bowl, baby. The podcast that keeps you fresh with the latest happenings in the world of Oregon Ducks athletics. Oregon remains an extremely powerful national brand. Freddie and Luke and all the guys going back. Aaron, they've all had a big, big part of this. Now, here's your host. Our guys have done well in our approach, which is win the day. Jordan Schultz. Hey there, Duck fans. Hope you're enjoying your summer so far. This is episode 11 of the weekly Webfoot Review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you as always. And you can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Be sure to give us a five-star rating if you like us. Also, find me on Twitter, on the air, Jordan, with any questions or topic ideas you have for the show. Seriously, love to answer your burning ducks questions. That's why I'm here. If you're new to the show, this is a weekly focus on Oregon Ducks athletics, mostly football and basketball, from the perspective of a lifelong Ducks fan. It's me, of course. It's a place to be if you want the latest Ducks news and opinions. And as far as news goes, it seems like Oregon is getting a lot of love in all different forms. Tipping off. Episode 11 of the Weekly Webfoot Review. And this is a good episode, by the way. Lots to get to. Tipping it off with the Lady Ducks. I'll tell you about their record season ticket sales so far this offseason. For the men's side, Dana Altman and the men's basketball team just got some great news about their odds in the NCAA tourney. On the gridiron, we kick off our preseason Pac-12 preview. So for the rest of the summer, we're going to be focusing on a couple of the Ducks in-conference opponents every week. One, if we don't really have time for two, there's going to be a couple we're going to have some more extensive looks at. But this week, we're starting off that preview, and we've got two. And we'll take a look at how Oregon matches up against all their Pac-12 opponents. So we start off with Stanford and Cal here on Episode 11 of the Weekly Webfoot Review. We've even got a couple of experts for each school on the show. So let the fun begin, Duck fans, as we learn more about all of Oregon's challengers in 2019. Also, Las Vegas has updated the Ducks' odds to make the college football playoff. And we can legitimately say they have a chance. It's awesome. We'll talk more about that. And to wrap up the show... We're going to take a look at the life of a former Duck in this week in Ducks history. He was an All-American running back, passed away at the age of 82 earlier this week, Jim Shanley. So just lots to get to this week. Just so much going on, even in the middle of summer for Oregon Ducks athletics. Busy episode 11 of the weekly Webfoot Review. So let's get right to it. Week after week, it has been one five-star recruit After another joining Kelly Graves and the Lady Ducks, the complete list of girls that they have coming in next year, Tahina Pow Pow, five-star, Maddie Schur, five-star. 
You got Angela Dugalich, five-star, Kylie Watson, five-star, Sydney Parrish, five-star, along with the transfer from Texas, Sedona Prince, five-star. Unbelievable, the list of talent that the Ducks have for 2020. But do not forget about Sabrina Unescu. This 2019 Duck squad, Satu Sabali, also going to be leading the charge, is the early favorite to win the NCAA tournament. All that hype is doing wonders for their ticket sales. If you haven't heard uh, from last year, Oregon's women's team filled up Matt Knight Arena at a record rate. Program last year drew 7,148 fans a night for 17 home games to lead the Pac-12 in attendance. Set a school record by about 2,500 fans from the year before. That was from 24-7 Sports. Earlier this week, Oregon announcing they sold north of 6,000 tickets for this upcoming season's home games. That number's only going to grow. A source telling DuckTerritory.com that the entirety of Matt Knight Arena's lower bowl had been sold after that announcement. That announcement, by the way, wasn't some official press release or, or some news release. It was a tweet from head coach Kelly Graves. People are locked in to Oregon's ladies basketball right now. So the Lady Ducks are going to break the attendance record again this year. This is just more evidence of the rapid rise of that program into relevancy that we've been discussing. Season ticket sales began on July 1st following renewals. In theory, the program would sell as many season tickets as possible. Then they hold off some of the tickets that, you know, you reserve a block for the student seats that you sell game to game. And then you got general admission tickets. Uh, most college arenas have those as well. Um, Matt Knight Arena sits 12,500 fans. And the fact that Ducks are making their plans and opening their wallets this early to watch the ladies play every single game, that alone has to give the players and coaching staff a ton of confidence going into next season. Such astronomical expectations, you know, maybe it'll help them breathe a bit easier that the fans are as excited as they are and putting their money where their mouth is as early as they are. You certainly don't need me to tell you to make an effort to go watch this team next season. The secret is out. And I think duck fans are chomping at the bit for a championship, especially after such a close call for the lady ducks with Baylor last year. Of course, the ducks men's run to the final four in 2017 ducks fans taste it. The two shots, the football team had, at winning it all in the past 10 years. This Ducks fan base is ready to celebrate, ready to get rewarded for all the time, money, blood, sweat, and tears they've invested into Oregon athletics. So good for the Lady Ducks selling so many tickets. They are going to break another attendance record, and this will be the third year in a row breaking their own attendance record for Matt Knight Arena, selling so many season tickets and trying to get back to the Final Four to win that championship that they were so close to last year. Now over to men's basketball. If this story about the men is true, fans might want to start emptying their wallet for their season tickets as well. <laughs> Some national prognosticators believe that Dana Altman and the team that he has pieced together is already good enough. And I mean pieced together like random puzzles, random ends, 
Eugenio Marui from the from Rutgers, and then of course Loke were late season addition, late off season addition. I said I should say, and Shakur Juiston as well. Just all these guys coming together, pieces. National prognosticators are already saying that this team could be the best in the Pac-12. And on top of that, they might even be good enough to win a national championship. Bavada, the Las Vegas Sportsbook, gives Oregon 26 to 1 odds to win the 2020 national championship. Only 11 other schools have a better chance at winning it all, odds-wise, uh, according to Bavada. None of those other schools come from the Pac-12. So Oregon, as far as the West Coast, is it. Bavada giving Michigan State 13 to 2 odds, Kentucky 15 to 2 odds, Duke 15 to 2 as well, Virginia 8 to 1, Kansas 13 to 1. That group of schools, the best chances to win it all. Only four other Pac-12 schools have lines at all, other than Oregon, Arizona gets 33 to 1 odds, followed by Washington, 70 to 1 odds, and then super, super long shots, Arizona State and Colorado at 100 to 1. And alongside the four Pac-12 schools, the Ducks will face five teams on their schedule in non-conference play that are ranked in this odds list as well by Bavada. They're going to open the year against Memphis. They have an 11 to 1 chance to win a championship according to Bavada. They host Baylor 66 to 1 odds as well as Houston 66 to 1 and they go on the road to play Michigan. That's a 20 to 1 chance for them that they're going to win the national championship. Also going to play Seton Hall in uh tourney on the road, the Battle for Atlantis tournament that I, that sounds like a Fortnite tournament, but it is not. It is an NCAA tournament that the Ducks are going to be playing in the Bahamas. That's pretty cool. I know the Atlantic Ocean, Atlantis. All right, come on. It sounds like a video game. It sounds like Fortnite. Bear with me. But they're going to go face Seton Hall, who has 60 to 1 odds. So the best case scenario for Oregon is this. We've continually been hearing about these just random guys that they've been throwing together along with the three returning players from last year's Sweet 16 team didn't know where they were even getting Peyton Pritchard back until recently. He really lost a ton of the roster. Three players to graduation, three more to early NBA draft, two transfers. They got guys like C.J. Walker coming in to replace those. Juco transfer Chris Duarte, the player of the year. Also, guys we were just talking about, Shakur Juiston, Luke War. Eugenio Marui, Anthony Mathis as well, Peyton Pritchard's former backcourt mate. And with all of that turnover, the Ducks are still projected favorably among the nation's best schools. Listen to this group, Michigan State, Kentucky, Duke, Kansas, Virginia, the best of the ACC is on that list. And the Ducks are there, fans. All that turnover, they're in that list. I'm in the freaking twilight zone, Duck fans. All the basketball lovers out there better be getting both ladies and men's season tickets. This makes you remember when I was a kid, you know, schools like North Carolina, Duke, UConn, they always had just really good basketball programs. The ACC traditionally been the conference for the best basketball. Now, the Oregon Ducks have that respect surrounding their program. They're a top destination for these young kids, even in the transfer portal. 
competing against schools like Duke and Virginia and North Carolina a second and third time, and they're still winning out. It is worth pointing out that the men have only filled nine scholarship spots on the roster for this season, so Dana Altman conceivably, theoretically, could add one or two more impact players if he gets lucky. We've still got a long ways to go, but Oregon men's and women's basketball is a must-watch this winter. Coming up, we're going to kick off our Pac-12 preview of every Pac-12 opponent that Oregon faces this season on the football field. Stanford is first up on the schedule, so that's where we're going to begin. Tom Fitzgerald, who covers Cardinal football for the San Francisco Chronicle, joins the podcast next. This is the weekly web foot review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. This is episode 11 of the weekly web foot review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you, kicking off our team-by-team Pac-12 preview this week. And we're just going to try and make it easy, go in order of the Ducks' 2019 schedule. So we're going to start with Stanford and then go on to Cal and so on and so forth. So joining us now on the weekly web foot review to talk Cardinal football. He covers Stanford sports for the San Francisco Chronicle. It's Tom Fitzgerald. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Jordan. How are you? I'm good. Uh, excited for the start of football season. We're getting close 45, 50 days away. We're even closer to Pac-12 media day. So I'm starting to be able to taste it, if that makes sense. I guess I want to start by asking you the biggest story of the offseason for Stanford seems to be the loss of Bryce Love. I'm sure you've been hearing a whole lot about that. What is the offense going to look like without him for 2019? A little different. Uh, last year, of course, uh, Love was hurt a lot of the season. Uh, fantastic running back, but he was really uh, hampered by injuries last last year and didn't really get a chance to uh, show what he could do. And the other problem was the offensive line. Uh, they thought they were going to be very good. Uh, had a bunch of veteran players, but their uh, run blocking especially was terrible. So uh, Stanford went from uh, gaining something like 2,800 yards in 2018 on the ground to 1,400 yards, like half that in 2019. That was a major problem. And it put a lot of stress on K.J. Costello, the quarterback, who had a really good year, uh, but the offense still wasn't what it, what it should have been. Yeah, K.J. Costello actually been one of the better Pac-12 quarterbacks and kind of, in my opinion, flying under the radar nationally until last year when he was selected uh, Pac-12 second team, also uh, all Pac-12 selection last year. A couple days ago, just made the Davey O'Brien Award watch list. So without love, is he going to have a chance to be the centerpiece of this offense going forward? Oh, he'll definitely be the centerpiece, uh, without question. They, they've got... Uh, the running backs, for instance, are Cameron Scarlett will probably get the first crack. Could be a workhorse, but uh, he doesn't have nearly the speed that uh, Love had or, or Christian McCaffrey before that. I think it's going to be more of a, a tailback by committee with uh, Scarlett and uh, Dorian Maddox, Trevor Spates, guys like that. Perhaps even a freshman named Austin uh, Jones from from Oakland. But, uh, but definitely Costello is the, going to be the center. He doesn't have J.J. Arcega-Whiteside to throw those uh, touchdown passes to J.J. Uh, uh, was fantastic in the red zone. And they don't have Trent Irwin anymore, but they've got a bunch of, uh, of wide receivers who are who are good. And uh, so it's going to be very interesting to see guys like Michael Wilson, Connor Whittington, and uh, Osiris St. Brown, guys like that. 
We're talking with Tom Fitzgerald from the San Francisco Chronicle on episode 11 of the weekly Webfoot Review, talking Stanford football. And I want to talk now about uh, Stanford football coach David Shaw. He has been one of the more consistent coaches in the Pac-12 since taking over for Jim Harbaugh back in 2011. Uh, overall record, 82-26, and 26, and still relatively young at age 46. I guess um, a couple of questions. One, what makes him so good? And two, does he want to stay at Stanford forever? Well, I'll answer the second one first. Yes, he does want to stay at Stanford forever, at least until his kids are grown, I would imagine. He's got a bunch of young kids, so... And plus, he's a Stanford guy. You know, yeah. he went there. He, he just he, he he knows how unique uh, unique this program is, uh, having the uh, ability to uh, contend for championships, uh, and, and at the same time be being one of the top academic schools in the country. That's that's really unique in, in American college football. Uh, he how does how does he how does he do it? Well, he's a, he's a smart guy. He hires really good uh, uh, assistants. He's a terrific recruiter. And uh, uh, he, their their recruiting budget is must be astronomical. Cause he's he's flying all over the country. They've, yeah, he has just always been impressive year to year. You think Stanford's going to have a down year, and then well, Shaw has them playing you know at least five hundred or better. It's just always a treat to watch what Stanford's doing down there. Um, so speaking of what they're going to be doing uh, this year. They have a very tough schedule early in the season. Actually, open up Pac-12 play week two on the road against USC. Is that kind of a make-or-break game for Stanford? That maybe that Auburn game is for Oregon. That really big impact game to start the year. Well, it's certainly one of them. Uh, they they're at USC. That's going to be a really tough game. You know, JT Daniels is. A, I think he's going to have a big year down there. Uh, but they start with Northwestern, and that's a t- that's a tough task. And then, but then the other really tough task is going to uh, Central Florida uh, down there in Florida, and, and that's going to be probably pretty darn hot and humid. And, uh, and 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 UCF has been fantastic the last couple of years, so that's going to be a really tough game for Stanford. And then, and of course, they have Oregon at home, and that's going to be very tough. Uh, and then a couple of weeks later, they have uh, UW at home. So. Uh, <laughs> that's a, that is really running a gauntlet. There's no UC Davis or San Jose State on this schedule. This is like wall-to-wall, you know, tough, tough hombres that they're going to be facing. Uh, yeah, step up and get thrown right into the fire, I guess, uh, even without Bryce Love. And another guy that they're without going into this year, huge loss, linebacker Bobby Okariki in the NFL draft. 96 tackles, three and a half sacks during his senior season are surely going to be missed this year. On the defensive side, does the Cardinal have somebody ready to step up and fill his shoes? Well, that's a great question. They, they not only lose uh, Okariki at an inside linebacker, but they also lose the other inside backer, Sean Barton, yeah. who who retired from football. At, uh, uh, those were the top two tacklers. So so it looks like they're going to they may well be starting two redshirt freshmen, uh, Jacob Mangum Ferrara and uh, Ricky Biesan, who are, who are great athletes, big, strong guys, but, um, you know, like with no experience. I mean, and, and the two uh, redshirt freshmen inside backers, and, the, and that's that's not a uh, – uh, not normally a, a key to success. 
Talking with Tom Fitzgerald, covers Stanford football and other sports for the San Francisco Chronicle. So Oregon matching up against Stanford to open up their Pac-12 season September 21st. You know, the Ducks haven't really been able to shake them off their backs uh, as of late, losing their last three matchups dating back to 2016. And a lot of that early in the year, Stanford going to be facing a lot of different challenges. Is that going to give Oregon a chance to take advantage and get in and beat them early in the year? Or is Stanford going to be ready for them trying to keep that momentum going? Well, I think Stanford will be ready for them, but I, I, I suspect that Oregon is going to be really out for blood when they play Stanford this time. Uh, you know, having had uh, losses to them uh, recently and uh, having Justin Herbert back, uh, you know, I think that kid is terrific. And he's going to be, he should have a sensational season. So, uh that's going to be a, a real interesting game. There's going to be a lot of passes in that game. And uh, uh, good thing it's at Stanford. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, that's going to be a very tough game for Stanford, I think. And last question for you before we wrap up, Tom. Who do you think is going to win the Pac-12 this season? Oh, gosh. Do I really have to answer? Uh, <laughs> no. I mean, it's early. You can, you can, yeah, you can yeah. wait a month and give me a call back. I don't know. I don't know. I hear Utah is having a, it looks really good. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess that would be, if I had to like bet money on it, I, I don't think it's going to be Stanford just because of, they've got too many holes. They, David Shaw's terrific at uh, keeping the team in contention. But I think, um, you know, until that offensive line shows that it can run block again, uh, that's going to be a big, a big question. The inside backers, as I say, is a big question. Uh, who the who the workhorse running back is going to be? If there is going to be a, a workhorse running back, I mean, I, that's that's a big question. I, you know, the the, the good things are Costello, and uh, they've got a pretty decent defensive line now for a change. And uh, uh, Paulson Adebo is a terrific, terrific cornerback. So uh, I think. Uh, so it, they've got some. They've got a lot of uh, parts. Uh, the question is whether they have enough to, to, uh, you know, really contend this year. I, I suspect not. I think they're going to lose to UW. Could lose to Oregon. Uh, so you know, and I think they're going to lose at uh, Central Florida. Uh, they could very well lose uh, at USC. I mean, it, it's it's um, it's going to be really tough. That schedule is, is a killer. Yeah, yeah, that early season schedule, I would not wish that upon anyone, even even the Ducks' rivals, the Beavers. Uh, Tom, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. I hope you have a great rest of your summer, and I hope Stanford wins every game this season except for when they play Oregon, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Uh, anytime, Jordan. Thank you. Wave at him as he goes. It's Tom Fitzgerald covering Stanford sports for the San Francisco Chronicle, actually retiring here in a couple of weeks after a 36-year career. Thank you so much for coming on the program, Tom. Really dropping some great knowledge. Switching gears, we're going to take a look at the Ducks' upcoming opponent after Stanford. Next up after them is, well, it's going to be the Cow Bears. They get a bye, though, after Stanford before coming back to Autzen Stadium to host the Bears on October 5th. And joining us now on the weekly Webfoot Review, he worked for the San Francisco Chronicle for almost 30 years, now covers Cal Athletics for Cal Bears Maven. It's Jake Curtis. Jake, thank you so much for taking the time to join the show. How are you doing, man? Good. Glad to be here. Good stuff. I uh, wanted to start in the backfield. 
The Bears have a hole at running back with the graduation of Patrick Laird. He's in training camp with the Miami Dolphins right now. Hopefully he can work his way into getting some carries. But who will the Ducks have to worry about this year uh, for Cal, who's going to be carrying the ball? Well, it looks like Christopher Brown, he was hurt a lot or toward the end of spring, but he's probably going to be the number one guy. He's a big guy, pretty fast. Nothing particularly special about what he does. Uh, Marcel Dancy is more of a uh, skitter bug kind of guy. He has some moves and get away, but he's he's really small. Um, it remains to be seen whether Brown could have a real big impact since the offensive line has questions as well. Now, Chase Garbers got most of the time at quarterback last year uh, as a redshirt freshman, throwing for just over 1,500 yards, 14 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, how safe is his job at quarterback after they brought that transfer in from UCLA? Did either of them separate themselves from the other in spring practice, or how did that go? Yeah, Garbers definitely separated himself, not so much by what he did, but, but what Monster didn't do. Um, maybe he was rusty from not playing for a year, but he was not very impressive. And I think Garbers would really have to play poorly during the uh, preseason not to be the starting quarterback come opening game. Garbers was better in spring, but, you know, that spring remains to be seen. They need a, a major uh, improvement at quarterback to be any kind of factor in the, in the Pac-12. Yeah, that's why I was asking you, Jake. By the way, we're talking to Jake Curtis. He covers Cal Athletics for Cal Bears Maven. The thing with Chase Garbers and their quarterback situation going forward, you're right. The Pac-12 has usually had a very high level of quarterbacks coming out of that conference and with them bringing that kid in from UCLA, it kind of made me ask questions and I'm sure a lot of fans like, well, is Garbers the guy? So is Justin Wilcox and the rest of the staff going forward with the idea that he's the guy or could they maybe be open uh, to maybe a transfer after next year if he doesn't get it going this season? Yeah, that's, that's very possible. I don't think they're thinking that far ahead. I think they're hoping that Garbers uh, makes it, uh, market improvement. I mean, there is a history of that, of redshirt freshmen or freshmen who are pushed in as starters as freshmen making a huge leap as sophomores. But obviously that doesn't always take place, and it remains to be seen whether you can do it. I, I, would, I thought they might be looking for somebody over this offseason, but that hasn't panned out, perhaps because Garber's played pretty well in the spring. But I still thought they might be looking for somebody to pull in as a, as a grad transfer to soak up that offense a lot since because their defense is clearly their strength, and a lot of that personnel is going to be gone after next year, after this coming year. So the Oregon Ducks, of course, very intimately connected to the Bears football program right now. Uh, their former DB, Justin Wilcox, the head coach, right. going into his third full season. Um, it's obviously going to take some time to dig out of that hole that Sonny Dykes put the program into, but how has Wilcox fared so far in your opinion? Well, they gave him a new contract, and they upped his uh, money a little bit, so obviously Cal thinks they need to do something to keep him. I, I think he's done fine. He, he had to change the philosophy 180 degrees from a totally offensive uh, style to a totally defensive style, and that takes a little while, and he's done, done it basically with a lot of the same players. I think this year will be a, a key indicator. I usually like look at the third year of a head coach as being key, Okay. First year, is you can throw it out the window as far as I'm concerned. Second oh, yeah. year, you can get some, some idea. But really the third year that really becomes the coach's team. And I think he needs to do better than predictions 
to uh, to really move the program forward. Now you talk about the defensive side of the ball and the switch to that mindset. Evan Weaver, I mean, what a stud uh, for the Cal Bears, a real bright spot, 159 tackles last year. Uh, is he the safe bet to continue as the leader and to try and teach the young guys how you're supposed to play defense at Cal? Yeah, he, he's clearly the leader. He's a he's a great talker. He's a great interview, too. Uh, it, it remains to be seen how, how well he'll do with uh, – Kanashik gone now because Kanashik was way up there among national leaders in, in tackles as yeah. well as the other inside linebacker. I think uh, Kwani Deng, JC uh, transfer, and probably their best recruit overall, if, if he is anything close to what they think he might be, that will give them the sort of the balance of the inside linebacker spot that they need. But Weaver's going to make a, a ton of tackles. He also was good in pass defense, better than you might expect for a guy of his uh, measurements, I guess you would say. He's a pretty stocky guy, but uh, I, I, yeah, a Weaver will have great numbers. Whether that's enough to to do what the defense needs to do to hold up the offense, I, I don't know. We're talking with Jake Curtis on the weekly Webfoot Review. He covers Cal athletics for Cal Bears Maven. So Oregon being projected by a lot of outlets as the probable winner of the Pac-12 at this point uh, against Cal specifically. They've been doing pretty well nine out of the last 10 matchups go Oregon's way Cal's got some good pieces though regardless especially on D as we were just talking about so what about the Bears makes this I I really truly believe in trap games what makes this a possible trap game for the Ducks at home well the the, the Cal's defense I mean it's when you when you limit possessions it it makes it tough I mean it happened to Washington they were limited in possessions they didn't move the ball well and you could tell they were getting uh uh Frustrated. Same thing happened with Washington State. Washington State scored at the end to sort of put the game away. But when you have a great defense like that, it makes winning a lot of games difficult, but it, it, it can bother good teams quite a bit because they don't get a lot of possessions, they don't score, they get frustrated, and it creates a close game, which, you know, a break here or there can, can really cause problems. So with a team like uh, Cal with a great secondary, I, I was a little surprised the Thorpe watch list came out today and not a single Cal guy was on that, which is Somewhat surprising, but I think a uh, with a defense like Cal, that it'll concern every good team that comes in. And with Oregon's inability to start some games last year, just looking anemic in that first quarter at times, it's it's an opportunity for Cal to come into Autzen Stadium and really make a difference there. So, what is the best case scenario that you see for Cal football this year? Maybe a step forward record wise, or because they lost so many key guys, they could take a step the other way. Where are you looking at, Jake? Well, the problem is they're playing in the Pac-12 North, which is where all the good teams are this <laughs> yeah. year. Um, so I, I would think they'd finish fourth or fifth, probably with something similar record-wise to what they had this past year, seven and five during the regular season, maybe five and four, four and five, somewhere in that category uh, in the conference. I don't think they make a big step forward. They just they, they just don't have the quarterback a proven quarterback to, that, that, that you need to, to contend for a title at this point. And I don't think Garbers is going to make that kind of leap. And last but certainly not least, who, in your opinion, will win the Pac-12 for 2019? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> well, I think it's three teams. I, I think Stanford's out of the picture. I think they've got a lot of problems. But I think it's the other three teams. I mean, personnel-wise, you wouldn't think Washington State would be in there. But somehow Leach comes up with something to create an offense. And then Washington and Oregon, personnel-wise, would seem to have the best. And then with uh, 
Oregon having the best quarterback, I guess I would give Oregon the nod that they have they have a little something in uh, good personnel at all around, all over the roster, uh, all over the lineup and the two deep. So I, I guess I would go with Oregon in the in the north and in the south. I don't know. I think it's a crapshoot. I think anybody in the Pac-12 North will win the uh, Pac-12 championship. Okay, and one other question about the Pac-12 South. This just popped into my head. Clay Helton and the situation at USC. How much longer does that guy have with that program? Well, if they start losing early in the year, he may not make it through the year. Okay. Uh, I would think he might even have to win the Pac-12 South to keep his job. Wow. If he comes in second in the Pac-12, yeah, I mean, if he comes in second in the Pac-12 South with, say, I don't know, six and three in the Pac-10, Pac-12, he might not, he may not be able to stay around. He, I, I think he's really on a short leash. I agree. I think he's dug himself in a huge hole so far with with just despite all the sanctions from the past, you have so many tools at your disposal if you're at USC. So if you can't get it done, it's on you. Uh, Jake, yeah. I, I I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk Callen, Oregon. Hope you have a great rest of your summer. And uh, uh, like I told Tom Fitzgerald about Stanford, I hope Cal wins every single game this year except for when they face the Ducks. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. All right, thank you. That's Jake Curtis, who covers Cal Athletics for Cal Bears Maven. Appreciate him coming on to drop some Pac-12 knowledge. Coming up, a couple more bits of news regarding Ducks football to get to. And this is about recent odds. Do they have a legitimate chance at making the college football playoff? The answer coming up next on the Weekly Webfoot Review. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you for SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. This is the Weekly Webfoot Review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. Jordan Schultz is sitting in with you for episode 11, a really fun show so far. We've had some great time with Tom Fitzgerald and Jake Curtis, both veteran reporters from the Bay Area in California, talking Stanford and Cal football and what Oregon is going to be looking at when they play against them this season. A couple of more bits of news regarding Ducks football, though. The big one this week was the announcement by ESPN that they're bringing college game day to Sundance Square in Fort Worth, Texas for the Auburn-Oregon game. That morning, Oregon is going to be playing on game day. Awesome. So game day is going to be there to preview the opener between Oregon and Auburn, officially named the AdvoCare Classic at AT AT&T Stadium. Of course, that game also... ABC's Saturday night broadcast. Uh, that is a 4.30 kickoff time, which we already knew. I love that kickoff time. It gives everyone on the East Coast a chance to watch Oregon in a huge game to open the season, to really set the tone for the nation. The Ducks have been relatively successful in their game day games. I, I mean, not totally perfect, 14-10, and 10, so a decent winning percentage in college game day games, six losses on the road or in neutral site games. So that's pretty big. So six of those 10 losses happening on the road or neutral site, like this AT&T stadium game in Texas, where I don't really believe it's a neutral site. That's a pretty easy game for Auburn fans to travel to. It's more of a road game for Oregon. The Ducks last season lost both their games in which game day was in attendance. That OT lost to Stanford at home and then at Washington State in Pullman. Auburn, on the other hand, 9-9 nine and nine when game day is there for its games. They won last time during the 2017 Iron Bowl with game day from ESPN in attendance. This is really going to be a top 10 matchup to start the season, and I know that the rest of the nation is 
going to have its eyes on Oregon with that time, 4.30 Pacific, 7.30 Eastern, looking to see if they're going to be marching towards the college football playoff or if they stumble early and let Auburn get going. Both of these teams' offensive lines are the most experienced in all of college football, and I firmly, firmly believe that the five guys protecting Justin Herbert are the best in the nation this year. No other team has guys that can protect their quarterback and create the holes for their running back, C.J. Verdell, better than the Ducks. Or just at the goal line, it'll be Cyrus and B.B. Likio. Cupcake or no cupcake to open the year, there is no reason Oregon shouldn't win out. I know Auburn's going to be tough, but this team is stacked, and they have the chance with the nation's eyes upon them to get going and put teams like Alabama, Clemson, on notice. That would be huge for Oregon to start this year with Justin Herbert coming back. I mean, you're telling me that this team can't win out as good as they are? This is what you practice for. These kinds of situations when you've got every single thing dropping in line for you as a team. Oregon has a senior quarterback, wasn't really sure or expected to come back last year. Well, guess what? Or after last year, well, guess what he did? You got your stacked offensive line four seniors, and the fifth, a sophomore, Panay Sewell, returning from last season. You've got 10 of 11 starters on offense returning, a transfer stud in Juwan Johnson, filling that one empty spot left by Dylan Mitchell, who went to the Vikings in the NFL draft. And then on the other side of the ball, losing key guys like Jalen Jelks and Ugo Amadi, well, not so terrible because Kayvon Thibodeau coming in. Almost the entire defensive side, other than those guys, is returning. Seven out of 11 starters on D. I mean, come on. This Ducks team, along with impact freshmen coming in, like I just said, Kayvon Thibodeau, but also Micah Pittman, Michael Wright on both sides of the ball. Mario Cristobal is ready. The question is the coaching. Will they be able to be there headwise in all of those situations that they need to? Can they make the right decision? Can they adjust on the fly? These kids are here four years tops. And you usually have to sit around two or three years to wait for this kind of depth to be at the level that Oregon has it right now. This doesn't happen very often, Duck fans. This is a perfect storm for Oregon. It's Herbert's last season, and I think it's their best shot at winning a national title for at least two years. And you know what? Vegas sportsbooks agree with me. The Westgate Superbook updated their odds for who will be the final four at the end of the season to be in the college football playoff. Well, Oregon fans, the Ducks are in the top dozen teams with the best odds to make that group in December. Not surprising, Alabama, Clemson leading the way one to six odds, not six to one, one to six. Georgia right behind them with even odds at one to one. Oregon currently eight to one odds to make the college football playoff. They're tied with Florida. The Florida Gators also sitting at eight and one. This just proves what I've been saying all off season. Lots of national media. All these bookmakers are putting their chips in for Oregon for 2019. Everyone expects them to emerge or almost everyone expects them to emerge out of the PAC 12 this year and have a shot at getting into the playoff for Justin Herbert's last year. Heisman Trophy candidate? I mean, come on. Remember, ESPN said that we talked about this in episode 10 of the weekly Webfoot review, that they have a 14% chance to make the Final Four, which is about 7-1. to one. 
So pretty close to eight to one, obviously. Uh, not really highly rated year to year as Alabama or Clemson. Oregon isn't, but they could end up facing one or both in the college football playoff if they get to that point. <laughs> and I have always salivated at the mention of an Oregon-Alabama matchup for years. I freaking hate Nick Saban. I hate that he always whined about the pace that Oregon played under Chip Kelly, how fast they were, how many plays they ran per game. He said his players, well, we could get hurt. We have much more of a chance of getting injured if the game goes that fast. That's not real football. BS. It is so football. It doesn't have anything to do with football. It has to do with the fact that Nick Saban was scared that a coach and Chip Kelly actually found a way to beat his team. And we never got to see that. So I've had Alabama, in my mind, as the dream opponent for Oregon in a title game for a long time. And now Mario Cristobal is recruiting totally different. All kinds of big players up front getting huge offensive linemen, real weapons for his quarterback at the wide receiver position. It's a whole different look in Eugene. This is the time for the Ducks to compete with those big teams from the SEC, the big guys like Clemson. Oh, it's now, Duck fans. We're just about 40 days away from their opener against Auburn. Another big team out of the SEC who they should match up well against, and I can't wait. Before we go, it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, This Week in Ducks History. A former All-American running back, Jim Shanley, died at the age of 82 last week. Shanley played at North Bend High School, earned state honors as a junior and senior while combining for 39 touchdowns. Led Oregon in rushing in the mid-50s, 1955 and 1957, totaled almost 1,900 yards on the ground in three total seasons. Shanley was an all-Pacific Coast Conference selection. That was what the Pac-12, 10, 8 was called before it had that name with the number. It was just the Pacific Coast Conference. He was an all-PCC selection, ranked 10th in the nation with 711 rushing yards as a sophomore, Nine touchdowns as well on 100 carries, averaged 7.1 yards per carry. Pretty dang good. 7.1 yards per carry. That's a mad number nowadays. Oregon that season went 6-4 and four under legendary coach Len Casanova. And as a senior, he ran 168 times for 664 yards to lead Oregon to the Rose Bowl for the first time in 38 years. Right of the line of scrimmage, Crabtree takes the ball, quarterback option, pitches back to Stanley, he's around the left side to the goal line, he's over. And that right there was the touchdown he scored in the second quarter of that Rose Bowl to tie the game up with, guess who, the Ohio State Buckeyes, 7-7. to Shanley had 11 carries for 59 yards that game, but Oregon would go on to lose 10-7. to that was actually a surprise, only losing by three uh, for a lot of people. They were 19-point underdogs going into that matchup. I believe Auburn was ranked number two, or whoever was ranked number two that season. They were ineligible because of some recruiting violations, so Oregon got put up into that game and faced off against the Ohio State Buckeyes in the Rose Bowl that year. And what a game, too. Len Castanova, I already mentioned him. He coached against the legend Woody Hayes for Ohio State. 
Mel Allen and Chick Hearn called the game on NBC. Another fun fact, Oregon quarterback Jack Crabtree won the MVP. Yes, you're hearing correctly. The losing team had the MVP, and he is still only one of two players on a losing team ever in the Rose Bowl to win that award. This was the last time that Oregon played Ohio State until the 2010 Rose Bowl. Ohio State won that 26-17. to I should mention the Ducks at the time were still referred to as the Webfoots during the 1957 season. Obviously, that's where the name of this podcast comes from, the Weekly Webfoot Review. Jim Shanley, selected to the Senior Bowl following his Oregon career, also played cornerback for the Webfoots. He signed with the Green Bay Packers and ran for 30 yards, also returned a few punts, and played one season in 1958 for pro ball. He worked as an assistant coach at Washington state in the 1960s, then switched, got out of football and worked as an insurance executive. He was inducted into the university of Oregon athletics hall of fame in 1994. What a career he had. Jim Shanley sounds like he was Oregon's stud at running back in the fifties, all American for Oregon dead at the age of 82 Wanted to celebrate your life, Jim Shanley. Thank you for your contributions to Oregon. So cool. The Oregon Webfoots in the Rose Bowl in 1958 on New Year's Day. The nation watched that game. That is so awesome to think about it. When there were only like four channels on. Oregon was on TV and Jim Shanley scored a touchdown for the Webfoots. That's going to do it for episode 11 of the weekly Webfoot Review. Stay tuned for episode 12 It's going to be a Pac-12 Media Day edition. I'll be reacting to all the best thoughts from Mario Cristobal, new defensive coordinator Andy Avalos. want to hear how Marcus Arroyo is going to be doing with the offense this season. Hopefully, he's able to play a little bit more on the fly. Other coaches around the conference as well. We're also going to continue our Pac-12 schedule preview for the Ducks. Colorado and the Washington Huskies are next up on the list. So we'll definitely be tackling either one or both during the next episode of the podcast. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Be sure to give it a five-star rating if you enjoy listening. Also, find me on Twitter, On The Air Jordan, if you have any ideas. On The Air Jordan with an O, by the way. If you have any ideas for topics or burning ducks questions you want answers to. This has been episode 11 of the weekly Webfoot Review from SB Nation and addictedtoquack.com. I'm Jordan Schultz, and I'll talk to you next week, sports fans. Go Ducks! The Weekly Webfoot 